Father, we, uh, we agree with those words. They're really hard for us to understand because you're so great. But we just want to state that we believe them, Lord. We believe that you are the Father. Father God, we uh, believe in Jesus, your Son, the Son of God. We celebrate, though he wants no celebration, your Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And we call you the triune one God, great beyond us. We're overwhelmed with the simple idea that you love us. And we, we, Radius Church, we, the church, Lord, we believe. We believe in you. And we believe in your work through your son on the cross. And we believe the work that you do on our insides through the Holy Spirit even today. We trust you with the coming minutes. We pray your spirit would run freely in us. Convict us where necessary and encourage us where needed. We love you. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you joined me uh, when I was a college kid, 19, I'm sitting in uh, maybe the cafeteria at Clemson. They call it Shaletter. I don't know. That's the guy they named it after. If you were a prophet and you came and joined me at my table and you gave me this prophecy that I was going to meet this 5'5", brown-eyed, brown-haired, brown-skinned young lady who uh, loved Jesus, uh, could sing, and could catch a football, I'm going to go ahead and tell you. I would have sat on the other side of the table and I would have said, good news. This is, this is really good news. And then if you would have begun to get up from the table after giving me that good news, I would have probably reached across and grabbed your arm and like, wait, 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 I need some more details. When? When do I meet the five, five brown-eyed girl? When, when, when is this going to happen? Give me some details uh, about this young lady. I would have hounded you with the when, where, and the hows and tried to get as much out of you as I could. And really, when you hold this Bible in your hands and you open the Old Testament or the Older Testament, you, you, you kind of have this picture of mankind hearing about this one who's coming, this proposed Messiah, this Savior. He's coming, but, but there's no answer to the wind. Now, it's teased in there. There's little details throughout the Old Testament, especially when you get to Isaiah and you roll through the prophets all the way to Malachi. There's this teasing of detail about the Savior's coming, but it's really hard to put it all together until we actually came. Now, if you were to sit down with me 31 years later, right, and we would walk through this 5'5", five, five, brown eyes, brown, well, now kind of blondish hair girl that I know uh, with, with brown, dark skin, can still sing. She would say not like she used to be able. I don't know if she can catch a football, but I know she can catch a bottle falling to the floor. She can catch a lot of things that I never thought she'd have had to catch when I just had that initial information. Well, I can give you all kind of details 31 years later, right? I could tell you about our first kiss, right? Like if you're a teenager, you need to listen to this. Our first kiss, I lean across my 79 Pontiac Grand Prix to give Cheryl my first kiss and she put her forearm in my chest and shoved me off of her. 
She, she, she had committed that she didn't want to do that too early in a relationship. So she shoved me off of her. That, was, that, was, that gives you a little insight into this good news about Jesus. I mean, about, about Cheryl. There's this uh, uh, beauty when you get the details of good news. I'd have to tell you about the 10th year of our marriage. I could tell you about how we, we struggled, but Cheryl struggled and So she found her way back into this small group and the Bible came to life for her in a way it never had. She was 32 years old and all of a sudden the Bible started jumping off the page and it blessed our marriage and it blessed our kids as it transformed her. The details of the six kids and the thousands and thousands of hours of affection and discipline. I could tell you disciplinary stories that would make you laugh like the time, like the time, Jay, we had a rule. You get three swats. I, I don't know if we know we're allowed to talk about this on camera, but you get three swats. And so Cheryl gave JT four evidently and he walks out the door screaming, she begged me four times. And then her little skinny arms comes out the door, grabs JT by the back of the neck, pulls him back in the room, and he gets at least three more with me as a witness, right? Like it's, there's just all of these hours that that lady that I was blessed with put into the six children that are mine and hers. And that gives you a lot more perspective on what great news that was that I was going to meet this five-five brown-eyed, brown-haired uh, person who loved Jesus, could catch a football and sing. I had, had my marriage counselor, premarital, he told me he thought I could handle her big personality, which I was insulted by because, of course, I can handle it. Uh, and then 31 years later, you realize that her words are not probably nine to one, more like 19 to one as we exchange in our home. Like she, Cheryl produces a bunch of words, but I had no idea how that big personality would bring to life the Bible for my kids, how that big personality would know all of our neighbors and how they know our neighbor's kids. I had no idea how it would humble me at times because I'd be frustrated with that big personality and had to work through who that was, but I also would have never known how willing she was going to be able to listen when I got my little percent in there, especially when I'm passionate, how she go quiet and, and look really glad to listen to my passion. Now that, that's good news. I hope I gave you enough detail to make you feel a little awkward. <laughs> it made me feel awkward if it didn't make you feel awkward. We're about to open a book of the Bible that's called the Gospel of Mark. It's amazing because he never mentions himself. Scholars later name it the Gospel of Mark. It's all about Jesus. Mark has grown up hearing about this one who's coming, he's coming, he's coming. And then it's about 31 years later, it's 30 to 40 years, he begins to pen this letter. He wants to capture all the details about the one who saved him. I, lo I love this book. As he captures the good news after, right? Looking back, giving the detail to it. I love the book and some of you will love it because of the way I love it because it, it, I've taught it at every church plant that I've ever been a part of. I believe that of all the gospels, it teaches us to get our heads up and see the people around us because Mark writes in really, really simple Greek, which is right up my, my alley. He's just as real as he can be. 
Matter of fact, a lot of folks believe now that Mark was the first gospel written and that Matthew and Luke, I don't know if you know how your Bible works, but in the New Testament, it starts Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We call them the gospels. They capture the life of Jesus. And a lot of scholars believe that Matthew and Luke use Mark as somewhat of a guide. And they, there's percentage of a Mark teased into both of those books. And whenever they quote Mark, a lot of times they'll make it more smooth because their grammar was better than his, which I think is awesome based on my grammar. He was writing many believed to the non-religious, specifically the non-Jews. He wanted the gospel about Jesus to come to life for the Gentile world. I just need to tell you, man, if you're new to Radius and you're hanging out with us, well, we, try to, we try to lose all the church language. We want to keep the biblical language and lose the church language. We don't want to use words other people don't know. We want to use the biblical language. We want them to learn what the Bible says and teach it and, and put it in context where our community can know. And that is exactly what Mark's doing with this, this book that he's real and he's candid when he talks about the disciples. It's, uh, it's pretty amazing how candid he'll be about their lives. It's the shortest book, which I dig. I've got a bunch of sons. So you don't want to talk to sons in paragraphs. You give them sentences and get them to move. And they're happy that way. And then one of my favorite parts, it's an action book. He, uh, he records 18 miracles in just four parables. So he's, he's into movement, to change. Mark, man, the, the guy who writes this book, if you want to relate to him a little bit, there's a part of the Bible that actually seems that he's a coward. Like he, he seems like uh, at a minimum, uh, he's running away like the rest of the disciples. It seems like he's the one who actually gets his cloak torn off. He's breaking tackles, getting away because he doesn't want to be related to Jesus in this last moments of his life. There's a point where Paul is just irritated with him. And I don't know if it's, he's a quitter or why Paul's mad at him, but there's this distance between him. And, and then he redeems himself. And I, for a lot of us reading this book, that, we can relate with that. Like there's been times when we wanted to quit or we've dipped or we've, we've slid away. And yet uh, here we are today, again, listening to God's word. He's probably educated because he could write. His, his Greek wasn't the greatest, but he could write, which would have made him fairly educated. It seems like he compiled uh, Peter's story. So you can kind of imagine him taking notes while Peter's preaching and, and him sitting at a desk, which is probably a little bit of a stretch and having all of his notes spread out. And now he's writing down the stories that he's picked up from Peter over the years. And he's got no computer. He's got no printing press. He can't even take it and go give it to the copier and reprint it. So he's just making one copy. He's got to get it on a piece of paper because this is good news and the whole world's got to know it. But all he knows how to do is write it down one time and pass it along to somebody. And sure enough, inspired by the Holy Spirit, it was written on our behalf and it's been uh, kept for all these years so that you and I, 2000 crazy 20, we get to read it and talk about it. And talk about the good news that inspired Mark to write this thing down for us. I hope by the end of this study, and it's going to take us months to work through it, that you'll be willing to write down the good news. <laughs> that the good news won't necessarily have to include you. That you could just talk about Jesus. Let me read you just the first verse. Mark chapter 1. This is the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. What a simple line. What a great introduction. 
the gospel. He says, this is the gospel. Some of y'all grew up in church and you've always heard the word gospel. And like me, I, I kind of knew what it meant. I, I, I had my ideas. I would think about the four gospels or I would think about sharing, quote, the gospel, which would mean telling people the good news about Jesus. But, but as I read it this time, when I read just that, that, that NLT translation, this is the good news and left it just that simple, it was, uh, man, it was refreshing to think about this whole 16 chapter book being the good news about Jesus. Good news. Uh, so you got to ask some questions. What makes it good and what makes it news? Let me read you a couple more verses. Look, he's, he's quoting the prophet Isaiah. Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you and he will prepare your way. He's a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming, clear the road for him. So you got a quote from Isaiah and a quote from Malachi, the beginning and the end of the prophets in, in our Bible. You got a quote from both of them and you can feel that the good news is actually big news, right? Like it's been prophesied from the past. And Mark, this is the only time he quotes the Old Testament in his whole book. Right? But at the very beginning, he's going to connect with the Jewish folks, but also bring online the non-Jews. Hey, this is a big deal. It's been talked about for a long time. This messenger was John the Baptist. He was in the wilderness and he preached uh, that the people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. All of Judea, including all the people of Jer Jerusalem, went out to see and to hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. His clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist for food he ate, locusts and wild honey. So if you just go back to our little phrase, good news, this is certainly news. Any good news writer includes a bunch of details. Did you catch the details? Hey, if I'm telling John and Cheryl's story, I am telling you about a green dress without sleeves when I first met Cheryl. I love that dress. Like it's, it's in my memory, right? I am telling you when Cheryl handed me the card that she was pregnant with Isaiah. Details. <laughs> Mark's writing this thing down, and I don't know if you caught the details, but he, he, he says it was in the wilderness. He names the Jordan River as the place of the baptism. He tells you what kind of clothes John the Baptist, they were odd, but the kind of clothes John the Baptist wore. He tells you the diet that John the Baptist was known for having. He tells you about where the people came that came to be baptized. He's bringing the details. This is news. In a minute, we'll see that it's big news. Oftentimes, people that are given news, if you, you break out the newspaper, which I still read because I'm an old guy, or you even get on a, on a news site uh, and you read the article, they'll give you details, but they'll also give you some words and then give you definitions of the words to educate you so that you'll understand how to read their article. It's pretty cool that right out of the gate in this, in this gospel of Mark, that he uses the word gospel, good news, that he names Jesus the Messiah. It depends on your translation. He may call him the Christ. Uh, he calls him the son of God, which we'll get to here in just a few minutes. But, but as we come through, he uses the word repent, confess, forgive, and baptized. <laughs> right out the gate. I love this guy. He gets right to it. And he takes this story about John the Baptist taking the people of Israel down to the Jordan River and baptizing them and teaches us what is one of the first steps that we have to take in order to believe and be saved by Jesus? And that is that we repent. Simple definition of repentance. Uh, 
is a deliberate change of direction in thought and behavior. So you can imagine these folks coming down and listen to John preach repentance and they would make a deliberate change. Like there would be, it, it wouldn't just be this uh, thing that comes out of their mouth where they profess something. They would actually make a change on the inside. It would be deliberate. And then when it says that they confessed, it means they, they agreed that they admitted. And the word sin is in here. It's introduced in here. They admitted that they were sinners, which is shocking if, you're, if you know Jewish culture, right? That these folks who were pretty proud folks were owning the fact that they were sinners. And John, as he, as he plowed the road for the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news about Jesus, he would uh, push them to the forgiveness of God. What's the word forgive mean? I mean, we all kind of know about it. I'll just give you a little definition. The removal or cancellation of an obligation or barrier of guilt. <laughs> Man, you got any guilt? You talk about a wall in your life or a painful wound in your life. Guilt just weighs and weighs. And forgiveness <laughs> sets you free from it. It's the removal, the cancellation of that guilt. And so John the Baptist, he's convincing them that they're guilty in essence, right? So that they'll repent and own their sin and turn from their sin. And then he's introducing them to the forgiveness of God, the paved the way for what is about to come from the Son of God. And then this, this interesting word, baptized, right? Multiple of our campuses. I hope you're enjoying this as a family of churches at Radius. We, we had another young man baptized at Lexington uh, just last week. There was five over at Rocky Creek not, not too long ago and five over at White Knoll. There's been some out of Saluda and over at Irmo. And we just, it's one of the greatest days of our church when somebody decides to publicly profess Christ as their savior. And, and so he, he introduces this word baptism, which would not have been a strange word to the Jewish folks because for years they've watched the Gentiles, whenever they would, whenever they would convert over to Judaism, they would actually come and self-baptize themselves. There's these little pools near the temple and they would dunk themselves in the water. They would immerse themselves in the water and they'd come back up. And that was a sign to show all the people around that they had now converted to Ju Judaism. But now the Jews which is a crazy idea. John the Baptist saying, no, you need to be baptized. The, the, the chosen ones, right? The family of God, you need to be baptized. You need to repent and be forgiven. He's paving the way for this good news about Jesus. Verse uh, seven and eight began to get at the good part. It's clearly news. There's details, there's definitions. And then you get to verse seven and eight and you begin to, Get the good news. Check it out. John announced, someone, John the Baptist, right? Someone is coming soon who is greater than I am. So much greater than I, I, that, that I'm not even worthy to stoop down like a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. He's beginning to introduce this idea of good news. So he's got this great man, John the Baptist, that Malachi and Isaiah prophesied that would come before the true Messiah. And then, then he takes this great man and shows his humility in the presence of Jesus, right? He's, he's not qualified to unlace his uh, sandals. He, he can't unbuckle the straps. He's, he's not qualified to do that because he's nowhere in comparison to Jesus as he speaks from his own mouth. And it is... Uh, that's good news that the Savior's here. 
Right? Movie after movie after movie are written where there's some hero that's going to come and save the day. My favorite is Braveheart. I can't wait for William Wallace. Even at the beginning when he's a child, you begin to anticipate him coming. But this, this story is one that the Jews have been reading for hundreds and hundreds of years. They've been waiting for a savior. And kind of like if you'd have prophesied that I was going to meet Cheryl when I was 19, they, they really had no idea exactly how that was going to work out. And now Mark's telling the story exactly how it did. Jesus uh, is spoken of by John the Baptist and John the Baptist just straight up says, hey, he's going to baptize you in a way that I can't. I need you to hear this. That is the biggest news in the history of the world, right? If China declares war on us tomorrow, that's small time compared to the book of Mark. It's just small time. If California has that earthquake we've all been talking about and it falls into the Pacific Ocean and they run it on CNN and Fox and they finally agree on something, right? Like it's the biggest news of the day. It pales in comparison to the story that Mark is telling right now that Jesus came and he's going to baptize us in the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? I mean, when we're baptized in water, we actually make the choice, our will. We decide to obey God, humble ourselves, and be baptized into water. We're baptized by the Holy Spirit. It's his will. Certainly, there's a step of belief on our, on our side of the coin, but he, by his will, decides to save us, not only by his blood, but by his power, and uh, baptizes us in the Holy Spirit a little Interesting way to understand this. It's coming under the Spirit's life-giving power. So all of a sudden, we are completely transformed by the living God. Check out the next couple of verses and maybe it'll make more sense. I baptize you not with water, but he will, he, he, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. One day, Jesus came from Nazareth into Galilee and John baptized him in the Jordan River. And Jesus came up out of the water and he saw the heavens splitting apart uh, and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. And there was a voice from heaven that said, you are my dearly loved son and you bring me great joy. What a scene. Jesus makes his way down to this place where John the Baptist is baptizing all these folks in a baptism of repentance. And he says that he wants to be baptized. What a crazy scene. And then when John the Baptist actually is willing to do, do such an act, he, he goes to the water and the Holy Spirit comes down from heaven. It says he, that one of, the, one of the ideas there is that he fluttered like a bird. What, if, I don't know how well you know your Bible, but that points you right back to Genesis, at creation where the Holy Spirit hovers over the waters. And then we have the Father speak. You are my dearly loved son. And at creation, we see the Father speak and, and the world is created, right? We have this, this powerful moment where we see the three parts of the Trinity all in action. The Son in obedience right there as a, as a true all God, all man ready to be baptized. And so we see, we see God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit at creation when he created it all and there was no sin, and it's pretty awesome to see all three parts of the Trinity at the baptism of Jesus, at the beginning of the renewal of all things, when he's going to restore all things. 
can't get away from the power of God. In this little simple story we're reading today, I wanted to read you a couple quotes from God really enjoy. You can pick up this book if you want, Jesus the King by Tim, Tim Keller. We're going to be using it throughout. Tim Keller, just speaking of the Trinity, says this. Trinitarianism holds that there is one God and three persons who know and love one another. God is not more fundamentally one than he is three, and he's not more fundamentally three than he is one. Mind blower, right? <laughs> he's a mystery in his greatness. Another theologian that uh, Keller quotes, Cornelius Platinga, I believe, says, says it this way. The per persons within God exalt each other, commune with each other, and defer to one another. Each divine person harbors the others at the center of his being in constant move it, movement of overture and acceptance. Each person envelops and encircles the others. God's interior life, therefore, overflows with regard for others. It's this really mind-blowing relationship between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And they're mutually, as Keller says, they're mutually self-giving love. It's just, it's just, it's just this, this, I'm trying to grasp with my mind, it kind of blows it, and yet, it's, and yet it's beautiful all in the same way. And I hope you get this, that the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit created this planet, and he created you in his own image. And therefore, since creation, there's this thread of love that goes from the beginning to now to the end. And there's this desperation among mankind to participate in that love, right? It seems that every song, every movie, almost, almost everything, every piece of art tries to capture, sometimes in perverted ways, tries to capture this idea of love. And, and we learn from the scripture that God is love. And then as we watch the Trinity interact, we see them deferring to one another as one God, again, mind-blowing, but the core of which is love, is this deep, unconditional, perfect love between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And John the Baptist says that Jesus is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. I mean, just if you slow down and meditate on that, that means that by the blood of Jesus, you're going to be welcomed into the love relationship with the great loving Trinity. <laughs> you, you almost have to imagine that baptismal pool that we set out at a variety of locations as this, this pool of love, this, this opportunity for you to be dipped completely into the love of God. I mean, it obviously has, has other pictures that we're supposed to take out of baptism, but there's this beauty of being dipped into the powerful, amazing love of God and love. I don't know if y'all haven't figured this out. It's transforming. Look at the kid whose parents love him. Just, just look how he rolls. Look at the wife or the husband that's loved well and how healthy. We're talking about perfect love. So you're baptized into the Holy Spirit and that is transformational in a supernatural way. We, the people of God, are baptized into the Holy Spirit, into the love of God. And we're supposed, to, uh, we're supposed to represent that in this world. I'm gonna go ahead and tell you, man, that is good news. And, and the book of Mark is just getting started. 
He's, he's barely, uh, we've just dipped our toes into all that he's going to teach us. That is good news. And I, I want to challenge you today because I, I can't get over the fact that he wrote this whole book and he never mentioned himself. And we call it the gospel of Mark, <laughs> which he would probably uh, utterly re- refuse to accept. What's the gospel of John Reed? What's, what's the gospel? Insert your name. Like, does it have your name a whole lot in it? Or can you tell the story of Jesus from his birth to his death to his resurrection to his ascension? Can you tell the story of Jesus? Because that is the good news for the world. The whole Old Testament keeps saying he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. And now we pick up the book of Mark and he says that he came and as a matter of fact, with some of his present tense language, it's as, as he speaks of as he's still here. Though he's ascended into heaven by Holy Spirit as counselor, he's still with us. Then that is our story that we represent to the world. And even as we complete that story, we still say again, he's coming. It's going to get even better. He's coming again. He came to give us the good news so that we could believe in his broken body on the cross, which you can celebrate with communion right now his spilled blood on the cross, which you can celebrate with with the blood, with the wine that's represented in communion right now. We celebrate that weekly because we anticipate a day that we will truly be with him and understand him to the full. That is, oh, that is good news. So over the course of the coming weeks, I just want to put a little homework in front of you. I'd love for you to write down the good news about Jesus. Man, if you get up the guts, you could post it on social media. I don't know how that really works. You could write it down and send it to each of your children. You could write it, put a stamp on it, and send it to one friend. Just a story about Jesus. Not about you, about Jesus. You could send it in an email to three or four friends that really need to hear it. Put it in your words. Put it in simple English. Put it in a way they'd understand it. It's a great privilege to represent the good news of Jesus. We're thankful today, Father, for good news. (laughs) Our newsreel is full of bad news. And yet we, your people, we have this great gift of your son, Jesus. And we thank you for it. And even now, we ask for help, Holy Spirit. We pray for opportunity and faith to give that good news to others. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.